I ask you please rise for our scripture reading today as we, or our sermon. There we go. Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. That's found on page 1,105 in your Black Pew Bible and 1,256 in the Adventure Bible. Luke 10, 25 through 37. Parable of the Good Samaritan. You may be saying, what does this have to do with Easter? Well, actually quite a bit. Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. And I read in Jesus' name. And behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this text, and I thank you for the resurrection, and I thank you for newness of life and for change. Lord, I pray now as we come to you to study your word, I ask that you would be at work in us, changing us, and indeed making us more like Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so today, as we, as we think about this, we, this story, well, it, it, and it's not just this story. As I, was, as I was contemplating the stories in Scripture, I am amazed at how many of them reveal to us our need for a resurrection, our need for a complete change. Because the fact is, we can't do this on our own. It, it's beyond us. It's too big. This world is too big and we are too sinful. And that's just the reality. We need the resurrection. We need, it's like the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel. We need new life breathed into us. We need change. We need to be changed because we can't change ourselves. And that's what this lawyer is coming to do. And so, you know, the lawyers back in this day and age were, they had about the same reputation as lawyers nowadays. And so, you know, it was good or something. Um, nothing against lawyers, but there's, what was that old joke? 99% of them gave the 1% a bad name. Um, 
Yeah, we did just have a big breakfast, didn't we? Things are a little slower this morning. I'll try to lighten up on the jokes. See, Doug, this is why you should have preached. You don't ever tell jokes. <laughs> All right. So what, what did the lawyer do? Like, what did he say? You know, this is fascinating. I don't know if you guys caught this, if you've ever thought about this. And behold, the lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know, the funny thing is, the lawyer got it right and got it wrong all in the same sentence. Now, how many of you have ever had to work for an inheritance? That doesn't work, does it? So you don't have to work for an inheritance. And so this lawyer is coming to Jesus and saying, Master, what must I do to inherit? Well, that's actually pretty easy. The one who has everything has to die. Right? And so he's got it right. It's an inheritance. You don't do anything for it. But he's got it wrong because he thinks that he's the one that has to inherit the inheritance or that he's the one that has to earn the inheritance. And you don't earn an inheritance. It's not possible. And so this lawyer is focusing on his actions. And so what Jesus, what's Jesus then revealing to him? Well, it's, it's not what you do. It's not a do. But he brings the question to him in such a way that the lawyer has to come to that part himself. Because if we think that we can do, then we do. That's, that's the way that we work as human beings. If I think I can do something on my own, I'm probably going to do it. Because that's our nature. We want to earn it. We want to do it ourselves. We want to be, be valuable. We don't want to be in debt to anybody. How many of you like to be in debt to somebody? You know, no. Nobody enjoys debt. Some, you know, it would seem like that for some, but nobody enjoys it. Nobody enjoys having to earn something. I was talking to a person one day. I don't know how much of the story to tell. Um, and, yeah, they were trying to convince me how, how they deserved the handouts that were being given to them. Because I have people come asking for money, stuff, and they were trying to convince me how much they deserved these handouts. And it's like, if you deserve it, then it's not a handout, is it? Then it's wages. You're getting paid for something. Oh, you've earned this. You've earned this by making bad decisions in your life. Hmm. I'll leave that. But that's the way that we are as human beings. We want to earn it. We want to deserve it. We want to deserve this. Whatever we get, the good things that we get, we don't want to deserve the bad things, but we want to deserve the good things. I've got these good things because I'm such a good guy. No, that's not the way the world works, and, but that's the way that this lawyer is coming at it. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so when Jesus asks him, he's saying, okay, if you want to inherit eternal life, this is all that you have to do. You just have to obey all the law. No problem. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. You know, Jesus says that. The lawyer's just repeating him because this is later in the whole Jesus story. And so Jesus' answer is probably well known by now because people talked back then just like people talk nowadays. And so... What's the lawyer doing? Well, he's just parroting back Jesus' answer. Because Jesus was asked that question, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, 
shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So then the lawyer comes and he asks Jesus that question. Jesus asks him, so what does it say in the law? And the lawyer says, ah, I've got this. Because he's a lawyer, he's got this. This is just a game. Have you ever interacted with lawyers? They're just playing a game. I've watched a couple of courtroom trials and it's fascinating watching trials. Um, so he's going to play this game. He's going to use Jesus' own words. Wow, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love the neighbor as yourself. Well, that sounds like what Jesus said. Isn't it kind of mocking? It kind of mocking? Yeah, you could probably say that. Yeah. He might be trying to impress Jesus. He might be trying to mock Jesus. We don't, he's just bringing Jesus' words back. I've got the right answer. But you know the problem is? Did the right answer save the lawyer? You know the right stuff. You know the right stuff. You're saved, right? Because you know the right stuff. Jesus says, all right, do it. Think about that. How many of you can say that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength? Do it. You want to earn it? Do it. Try it. Do it. Now, I can look in my own soul and I, I can see, you know, inside of myself. So when I'm doing something, even right now, there is a part of me, my flesh still lives within me because there's a part of me that still wants to impress. And so as I proclaim the word of God, I ask that God would be glorified and, you know, that I might be forgotten. But then there's still that part of me that says, Joe, if you do this well, you're going to get attention. If you do this well, and then there's that sinful part of me that's trying to gain this back for myself. And I, that's still there. And so even this, no matter how good I do, see, there's still sin in, in it. And that's why we're told in the book of Isaiah that your righteous deeds, they're as filthy rags. Because no matter what good I'm doing, it's still going to be polluted and perverted and corrupted by the sin that's in me. We're told in the book of, I think it's Isaiah. It's one of the minor prophets. Problem, not Isaiah, Amos. Um, no, it's not Amos. But I'm forgetting which one it is. The problem with reading them over and over is now they get jumbled in my head. But the question comes. So if you have something holy in the fold of your garment and you touch something unholy, does that unholy thing become holy? No. But if you have something unholy and you touch something holy, what happens to the holy thing? It becomes defiled. So if you have filthy hands and you pick up a clean cheeseburger, do your hands become clean? No matter what your children think, that is not proper cleansing. That cheeseburger has now become defiled through your filthy hands. So also any good works that we do become defiled because we're not loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're not loving our neighbor as ourself. We're not loving our neighbor as we, deserve, we desire to be loved. We're not loving our neighbor at the same level even because when push comes to shove, I'm not going to choose my neighbor above myself. And so, okay, you want to inherit eternal life? Here's what you do. There's a second way to get to heaven. Did you know that? You just have to be perfect. Absolutely. From birth on. 
Good luck with that. So that's what Jesus is bringing to the lawyer because then what does the lawyer do? Well, he seeks to justify himself. Well, I can't do that. um, Who's my neighbor? I'm going to find a loophole. I'm going to find out a way around this. That's what, the, that's what the lawyer's doing. That's what we do. Well, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. Nobody sees it. You know, there's an old Simpsons joke um, where the bully, but I don't remember what his name is. Nelson. Nelson. <laughs> Thank you, Nathaniel. <laughs> when Nelson says, it's a victimless crime, like punching someone in the dark. Wow, yeah, right? If I can't see who got punched, there's not a victim there. And if they can't see who did it, there's not a perpetrator. So I'm free. If I punch someone in the dark, nobody gets hurt and nobody knows it's me. God sees it. But that's what we do. Nelson is trying to justify himself. That's what we do. Well, there's nobody really getting, well, it's not really my responsibility. Where, who is my responsibility? You know, where do I draw that line at? Neighbor. And we seek to justify ourselves. We seek to make our self-righteous by our own works, by our own deeds, by our own thoughts. But we can't cleanse ourselves. So the lawyer is trying to find a way around it. Jesus doesn't allow that. So then he tells a story. And it's interesting who's in the story. Because, so the lawyer has all the right answers because they're a lawyer. That's what happens. You know, and then they, lawyers try to, try to show that they're the ones that are right. That's why you have to do what I say because I'm the one that's right. And the other lawyer is saying, no, you're not the one that's right. I'm the one that's right. And so then they battle and whoever's the rightest or whoever's the best arguer ends up being the one that's right. That's kind of the way that lawyers do things. And that's nothing against lawyers. That's just, that's the court of law. That's how this works. And so the lawyer shows that having the right answer doesn't save you. But what about the priest? You know, having the right rituals doesn't save you either. Because who are the priests? They were the people that led all of the rituals in the temple and outside of the temple. They were the ones that directed and guided all of that stuff. We were talking about this, was it yesterday when we were talking about the, um, the rabbis at the kill plant? You know, how would, what was the purpose of the rabbis? Just to make sure that everything was blessed as it was killed. You know, to make sure it was kosher. Well, they followed all the rituals. Does that make them saved? You guys are in church today. You're following. This is a ritual. Did you know that? So when, we sing, when we're singing these songs, we sing these songs. It's a ritual. Well, why do we sing the songs? Well, there's lots of reasons. But it's still a ritual. Does that save you? Are those things in and of themselves powerful to change a person? Does a ritual change a person? So if someone goes to church every Sunday, does that make them a Christian? No. It doesn't have the power to do that. You know, this priest sees the need and he walks along the other side. The ritual isn't the thing that changed him because if anybody was going to be changed by ritual alone, a priest would have been changed by ritual alone. A pastor would be changed by ritual alone. The ritual alone is powerless to change us because it's simply a physical 
material thing. This is a problem. Well, how about a Levite? What was a Levite's job? Do you remember? The Levites in the Old Testament, the Levites in the kingdom of Israel, in the nation of Israel, their job was to present the truth. They were, they were the proto-rabbis. They were the ones that were supposed to be teaching all of the people. They weren't in charge of the temple, but they were supposed to be scattered all around the countryside and they were supposed to be bringing the truth of God to all the people. And so who knows something? Knowledge. Who has right knowledge? So the lawyer had right answers. The priest had right rituals. The Levite has right knowledge. Can your knowledge save you? I've used this illustration before. If I, if I know that smoking is bad for my health and yet I continue to smoke, does my knowledge help me? Well, I know that it's bad, therefore it's not going to affect me. Have you guys ever knowingly made a bad decision and then had, and then had to pay the consequences? Kate, or I'll say to saying yes. I can't even imagine. <laughs> I haven't either, don't worry. <laughs> my knowledge did not negate the consequences of my bad decision. Your knowledge cannot, in and of itself, save you. It cannot change you. Your knowledge cannot, in and of itself, I'm going to say that again, your knowledge, in and of itself, cannot change you. If it just stays at knowledge, it won't change you. What does a smoker need to do when they realize that smoking is bad for them? Quit. Really? Think about that. They need to oh, apply it. If I know to do right and do not do it, to me it is sin. I told that in the book of James. We need to live these things out because otherwise it's simply self-worship. If I am trying to justify myself, through my right answers. I, I can say all the right things. I'm pretty good at answering things right. Actually, I'm, I'm not because I, I'm kind of ornery like that. Pretty good at challenging people. <laughs> Are you sure you know what you think you know? Are you sure your answer is right? But I can do that. I can say the right answer. I remember doing that in, col or in, well, in college and in high school when I didn't agree with something. I would just put down the right answer because I didn't want to have to get in an argument with a teacher. Not that I was afraid of arguments with the teacher, but that never got me any points. And they would still call me wrong regardless of my reasons. And I don't know is not a legitimate answer. Because I tried that. And I, said, and I said, but this answer is right. I don't know. That's correct. They said, but that wasn't the question. <sighs> yeah, Pastor Joe's always been a smart aleck. <laughs> terrible. But the lawyer sought to justify himself. The Levite, relying on the rituals, cannot justify himself. The, or the priest, relying on the rituals, cannot justify himself. The Levite, relying on knowledge, cannot justify himself. Those things do not justify us. Because if they did, they would lead to self-worship. If I just acquire enough knowledge, then I'm good enough. If I just do enough rituals, then I'm good enough. If I just have the right answers, if I come to the pearly gates and I can say the right things, then it's good enough. No, because that would lead me to rely on myself and if I can rely on myself, then I can worship myself. The reality is we can't rely on ourselves. And so then we run across the Samaritan. What's the Samaritan? He's got a, a what? He was an outcast. He was hated. They were despised. The Jews rejected the Samaritans. 
Remember that prayer? The, the Jewish men would pray this prayer, Lord, thank you that I'm not a dog. Thank you that I'm not a woman. Thank you I'm not a Samaritan. Right? Good times. That's how they thought. Where were the Samaritans? They were there with the dogs. They were, where were the women? They were there with the dogs too. <laughs> I don't make up these things. This is history. The external indicators weren't there. They worshipped in the wrong place. They had the wrong doctrines. You know, you think about that. These Samaritans, they had the wrong doctrines. They only had the first five books of the Bible. They rejected everything else because everything else was leading up to Jerusalem being where the temple was supposed to be. Joshua and on, they rejected it. They accepted Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and that was it. Because that taught them, well, Deuteronomy talks about the temple too, but then they said, no, it's got to be on Samaria, Mount, uh, the mountain in Samaria. And so they worshipped there. So they were worshipping in the wrong spot. They, had, they didn't have a proper, a full understanding of God. Uh, they knew that the Messiah was coming. We see that at the woman at the well. They knew that the Messiah was coming, but they didn't know who he was to the same degree that the Jews did. So they worshipped in the wrong spot. They had the wrong doctrines. They didn't have the right lineage. They didn't come from the right place. They weren't good Norwegians. <laughs> sad, sad, sad. <laughs> so all of the external trappings, none of them were there. They didn't dress right. They didn't eat the right foods. They didn't have the right king. Did that change the person? No. All these external things that everybody else was relying on, the Samaritan had none of them. But what he had was an internal difference. He had compassion. He had love. And you know, the difficult thing about love is it requires a changed heart. Because love means that I'm no longer thinking about myself. Where does the Samaritan benefit in all of this? Nowhere. That's love. Love is something that simply gives out. Regardless of what I get back. Is this guy, he doesn't have any money. He doesn't have any clothes. He's got no indicator of who he is and what, you know, what level. It, it's not a king that got robbed and then the Samaritan found an opportunity to gain social standing? No, it's just some guy was out there, got robbed, he got beat up, he didn't have any power, he didn't have any entourage with him to protect him. He had nothing. And yet the Samaritan gave him everything. And I say everything because the Samaritan promised his very self, whatever you pay, whatever else you spend, I will pay. He was dedicating his very self to the benefit of this man. That's love. That can't just be worked up. It can't just be drummed up. And it doesn't make sense. Yeah, what are you going to get out of that? Nothing. What benefit does it bring you? Nothing. Nothing. Well, it might make me feel good. Really? Would you go to that degree? Just to feel good? This isn't for his benefit. This is love. And this is what the lawyer missed. This is what the priest missed. This is what the Levi missed. It's not that we're saved by love, but the only... What, what does it mean that love is a fruit of the Spirit? It means that it, it doesn't come through natural ways. It cannot. 
The love of others cannot come through natural means. It can only come by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the resurrection of someone's life, the very change in heart. And this is where this becomes really important this Easter Sunday, is this question, are you changed? Are we changed? Is it the Holy Spirit or are we relying on external trappings? Well, I go to the right church. Well, I read my Bible. Well, I have the right ritual. Did you know that my devotional time is a ritual? It, in and of itself, cannot change me. Do I trust Christ? That's the question. Or am I trusting me? Am I trusting me? Am I trusting my knowledge? Am I trusting my answers? Am I trusting, well, I, I went through confirmation. Well, I was, I was baptized as an infant. Am I just going to trust that or am I going to trust Jesus? Because baptism is meant to bring us into a relationship with Jesus, not to be the thing that we trust. Bible reading is meant to bring us into that relationship with Jesus, not to be the thing that I trust. My knowledge is meant to bring me into that relationship with Jesus, not to be the thing that I trust. If I have the right doctrines and the right answers, what's the purpose of them? Jesus, not doctrines. The doctrines are not an end. They're a means to bring me to Jesus, that I would be walking with Jesus. Because he's the one that changes my heart and he's the one that changes my soul. Do you trust in Jesus? He's the one that raised, he's the one that rose from the dead. He is the one that gives life. He gives life. He makes alive. He changes hearts. Doctrines can't do that if they are separated from Jesus. Churches can't do that if they're separated from Jesus. I can give you all the right answers, but if you don't trust in Jesus... They don't do you any good. It's all about Jesus because he's the only one that can teach us to love. So who's the one that proved to be a neighbor? Who's the one that actually took these things seriously? Who's the one that was changed from the inside? The Samaritan. The one who didn't have any of the external things. But you know what? We can tell by his fruit. He loved Jesus. He loved the coming Messiah. So you know what? You go do likewise. Love Jesus. It's about Jesus. Is there any ritual in and of itself that's bad? No. Is there any doctrine then? Any of these doctrines, are they bad? Should we reject all doctrines? Should we reject our Bible? No. These things are meant to lead us to Jesus. That living, personal relationship with God himself. It's about Jesus. It's not about my actions. It's not about my answers. It's not about the place that I worship. It's not about my rituals. It's not about the clothes that I wear or don't wear. It doesn't matter. Those things aren't the point. The point is Jesus. That's why we celebrate every Sunday. That's why we celebrate on Easter. That's why we celebrate. That's why, that's why we read, because our Bibles bring us into a relationship with Jesus. As we take these truths and we live them out, we start to see Jesus. We realize that we can't and that we need Jesus, that we need the resurrection in our own lives. I need that in my life. Can these dead bones live? Oh Lord, only you know. And so then, are the dead bones dead anymore? No, because Jesus lives. And if you trust in Jesus, then he lives in you and he gives you his life. So if you have any questions about that, like I, Joe, I've been trusting in my doctrines. 
Well, praise God that you know them. Ask Jesus to be your Lord. Your Lord. My Lord. May he be our Lord. Push comes to shove. Our knowledge doesn't fix it. Jesus needs to be my Lord. And you say, well, I haven't asked right. That's not the question because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. That's what I struggled with in high school. I, didn't, I haven't repented well enough. I haven't prayed well enough. I haven't asked well enough. I haven't meant it enough. But who was I relying on then? Me. Who is the Lord? Not me. Not even my wife. It's Jesus. To trust him. Trust him. He saves. He is risen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus is risen and that he gives life wherever he goes and I pray that he would be at work in us. Lord, that he would be our Lord, that we would submit to him instead of to the things of this world which do not bring life, but only Jesus does. Lord, I pray that we would have the wisdom to not reject our doctrines or our scriptures or our rituals, but rather that we would seek you through them, through them. Lord, that we come to you, that we trust in you. We thank you that you are reliable. We thank you that you are good. Bless us now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.